Hey, grab a caffeinated beverage, preferably one with an umbrella in it, because this is Tropical Talk Radio, the only podcast on iTunes with this intro music. Yeah, buddy, you've downloaded Tropical Talk Radio, where we talk about all things entrepreneurship, travel, and lifestyle. If you're interested in more about this program, check out tropicalmba.com. And if you sign up for our mailing list, I will personally send you 50 free podcast episodes that take you along on our journey and expose the insider story on how we started a million-dollar, honest-to-goodness product business while we traveled the globe. Hey everybody, today is an episode for my fellow Southeast Asian nerds, travel geeks, baseliners, ballers, all of y'all that are interested in Southeast Asia. This is going to be a fun one. I'm interested in your thoughts. It's Tropical Talk Radio episode 20. What is the best place in Southeast Asia for internet entrepreneurs? First, a few quick news items. For those of you who don't already know, I'm back in Bali. So if you're in Bali, feel free to, to hit me up. A couple things on my radar this month first is the book. Um, you know, I don't know if I have anything good to say about writing books, except that it makes you feel stupid. And I love that challenge of waking up or putting aside a big chunk of time and sitting in front of a screen and just saying, you know, what do you got, man? That's kind of a cool challenge um, for me. Um, the business stuff, you know, a little. I, I'd rather make a cold call. It's less terrifying to me than sitting in front of this book trying to make it good. And that's that's why I like that challenge. Um, you know, I've done a, a ton of research over the past year about the best ways to structure a book, the best ways to write one, and it all just comes down to the same thing. And it's it's a similar piece of advice when it comes to businesses. And it's uh, AIC. AIC is the acronym uh, for growing successful businesses and for writing successful books. And you're ready for it? Ass in chair. And that's really what it comes down to. You just got to take that time set it aside, and ass in chair, man. You just got to be there every single day, crank a lankin on this stuff, trying not to get distracted. So that's what I'm doing. Another big move in our life and business has been uh, mentorship. You know, Ian and I talk a big game on our podcast. You know, you got to have mentors. You got to work for them really hard. You got to, you know, invest in these long-term relationships. Well, you know, we've had a little bit of a problem because, you know, we've sort of outpaced our last couple mentors, and that's what you should do. I mean, you should learn as much as you can and then know when it's time to move on and then move on. And I think one of the tests of a great mentor is could that mentor step into your business or into your book or whatever it is you're trying to do and just crush you the next day? You know, I knew for a few months that we didn't have somebody to really talk with our business about. And that was a huge problem. And we set aside time to solve that problem. And we're working on it. Another thing, Kiva.org, if you have not yet signed up for our team of lifestyle entrepreneurs, investors, we have deployed over $10,000 on that platform. It's a micro lending platform for developing world entrepreneurs. It's super cool. So that's Kiva.org. I got a couple questions today. Hey, Dan and Ian, a uh, big fan of your show. Ian's not here. Wah, wah, wah. I listen to you guys on the way to the office and as often as the episodes are released. In any case, I'm probably not the typical listener because I'm an accountant with a small practice in Connecticut. A few years back, I completed a master's in a tax program, except for the requirement of writing a tax research paper on a topic of my choosing. The hard part is finding an interesting topic. So what Mario is asking, is there anything that would benefit the Tropical MBA and the Lifestyle Business Podcast community 
For instance, being mobile and working internationally must cause certain tax complexities. Would that be an interesting research topic? Well, Mario, thanks for listening. Thanks for the question, man. First off, this stuff isn't interesting. You're not looking at it from my perspective, man, because when I hear that you have your master's in tax law accounting, I get pumped because this is a huge pain point for people uh, in the what I would call the micro multinational niche. There's no one serving us. You could call this strategic accounting, accountants who both know about compliance issues and about entrepreneurial issues. Um, most accountants are just, uh, you know, it's all about fitting the, the, the precedent cases and compliance and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's great when there's a bunch of precedent cases and you run an old boring manufacturing company in Illinois. But when you're traveling around and you've got four different corporations in different countries um, and you're, you're still at a small scale, the compliance is extraordinarily uh, costly. And it's something also that the entrepreneurs are extremely interested in. So I think you've got this fascinating nexus of a hungry market, Mario, where you've got people that are spending a lot of time and money on this stuff and they're very fascinated and it's a huge benefit to them. It's not like, oh, I got to go meet with my accountant and pay taxes and do the compliance stuff. Well, it's, no, it's like, this is a real opportunity. This is fun. This is international. And nobody that I know of is effectively filling this niche um, for uh, strategic tax consulting for up and coming mobile entrepreneurs. You know, simple stuff, Mario, like what's the best place to incorporate for an e-commerce store owner that doesn't live in the United States but is a United States citizen? And then what the heck do you do when you do that? There's nobody effectively serving that niche because the history here is that it's been a bunch of rich guys doing this stuff. Well, the reality on the ground is that, and, and this is only over the past five years, Mario, is that it's a bunch of new entrepreneurs just getting started, maybe making six figures, maybe on their way to seven figures, and they're trying to figure out what to do without spending a crap ton of money on some super huge hotshot accountant. Mario, if you can be that guy, there's a huge opportunity. So anyway, let me know what you think about that and we can uh, continue talking. Max writes me, first off, thanks for the great podcast. I'm just a lowly wannabe entrepreneur but uh, you guys are helping me get through my fears. Anyway, I found this freelance job to write French articles on French Canadian. Booyah, buddy. I love uh, French Canada. Um, so congratulations on the new job. And what Max is asking is he's saying, I definitely want to hit up Southeast Asia because I love it there and because I know of all the opportunities that are existing right there. That's right, Max. I believe Southeast Asia is the friggin' hot spot for internet entrepreneurs right now, in part because I'm here. So it's a little bit of a self-it's a self-licking ice cream cone, so to speak. But uh, yeah, this is a great place in the world. It's happening. In your first 50 podcasts, remember you saying that Manila is the best place to settle for a while if you want to start an online business. But that was like two years ago. And then you moved to Bali, and uh, it got complicated. So do you still think Manila? is the best place to be. And if not, where would you recommend me go first? Thanks, Max. All right, here's the deal. Max, over the last five months, if you haven't seen my last post on Tropical MBA, it was like an Odyssey post with 70 photos where I walked everybody through sort of what happened. And it was really, Max, to be honest, it was probably the most amazing five months of my life. Um, I had an absolute blast. And I'm going to walk through the places that I went to in Southeast Asia, the some of the people that I met, and I'm going to go over four um, areas for, for each place that I went, which is number one is about the cost of living. Uh, the, the number two is the major pros of living there for entrepreneurs. Number three is the major cons of living there. 
And number four is the type of expat you're likely to find there. So the demographics of these locations. I'm going to be real fast and loose with it. I'm going to be uh, uh, dealing generalities here just to get the discussion going. And Max, look, if you're going to move to Southeast Asia and be an internet entrepreneur, you got to join the Dynamite Circle. I'm just going to get that out of the way real quick because uh, the Dynamite Circle has this feature where there's a map in there and you can see where everybody is and you can meet up with everybody. And that's basically what people in there do. So uh, you got to join the Dynamite Circle, bottom line. All right, let's get started. Vietnam, speaking of the Dynamite Circle, I was just in there. I saw a forum post called uh, Heads Down in the Hoach 2013. So the Hoach is a uh, it's a nickname that expats give to Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon, the southern city in Vietnam, which is popping off right now for startups and for young entrepreneurs and stuff. And there's going to be a movement there in 2013. So that's definitely something you could align yourself with. So let's get started with Vietnam. There's really only three places that you could live in Vietnam that are, I would say, relevant for internet entrepreneurs. You got Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, so north and south cities, uh, both with fast internet and sort of a city-like environment. And then in the middle, you've got uh, Nha Trang, which the internet speeds there have been reported as workable, but significantly less. Um, you know, Nha Trang is like the top lifestyle destination. It's kind of a sleepy beach town, but there's still plenty to do. Uh, let's focus, though, on uh, Ho Chi Minh City, which I think is really the hot spot for internet entrepreneurs in Vietnam. Um, it's better food than Hanoi, friendlier people, it's more international and more happening. H Hanoi is a little bit, it's more for maybe tourists. It's, it's a bit stodgier. Um, people are a little saltier. Food isn't as good, but it's still amazing. You can't go wrong with the food in Vietnam. But let's focus on Ho Chi Minh City, the cost of living. I think um, all in visa, a uh, decent place in Ho Chi Minh City, you can pretty easily get by on $1,500 to $2,000 uh, a month. And I think that would be living a pretty decent lifestyle. You could really squeeze it out uh, in, in Vietnam because you do have uh, a friendly visa situation. You're not having to get on airplanes all the time and stuff like that. If you needed to live in Vietnam for a thousand bucks a month, you could. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely budget 1500 to 2000 all in. Uh, friendly visa, major pros of living in, in, in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, internet. Internet's really fast there. Internet's reliable there. Uh, another major pro is that you've got the greatest cafe culture possibly anywhere. And if you're like me, Max, and you like to work in public spaces, I basically work all day long in cafes. Ho Chi Minh City is a dream come true. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you're gonna find a uh, world-class food culture. And I'm not, you know, I know I speak in superlatives, but this is legitimately a world-class food culture. So, and then the final pro of Ho Chi Minh City is that you're going to find a great peer group there. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the demographics. So what are the cons? Is it all, is it all roses living in Ho Chi Minh City? Uh, no, not so much. See, first off, there's, Saigon is this amazingly huge, sprawling, crazy town. And when me and my friends used to live there back in 09, we used to call, there was two areas of Saigon. There was relevant Saigon. So that was like District 1, 2, and... Uh, parts of seven and, and so there, there was like this sort of area that we rolled in and then if you rolled outside of relevant Saigon It was almost like um, one of those old-school Cartoons where like the same backdrop just keeps going over and over and over and over The city just goes on forever and it feels like it's so difficult to get out of Saigon. It's just this massive oppressive garble of people 
And it really starts to wear on me. I'm not much of a city guy. It's difficult to get out of Saigon, I feel like. Yeah, you know, you can go to Vung Tau or you could get on an airplane out to Fuquoc or you could get on a 12-hour or 8-hour uh, bus up to Nha Trang and all that stuff. But, you know, that's a major thing. You can't just, it's not like Bali here where you can just kind of go out to the rice field and go for a walk. So in Saigon, you're definitely, you're in a beautiful concrete jungle from, for a, a small portion of it, but you're in a concrete jungle. Finally, on uh, the Vietnam point, what is the demographic of expats you're going to find there? Um, I think you're going to find relatively refined, relatively young. You're going to find a nice mix of girls and guys there. It's not going to be like the male-dominated classic Southeast Asia expat scene there. Um, you're going to find a lot of young professionals from America there. There's a lot of uh, American-Vietnam sort of... Um, partnerships and stuff like that going on so i think it's a great crowd you're going to find a, a lot of cool people to hang out with in, in ho chi minh city and of course you've got the startup scene that we've been talking about so that's what you're interested in all right so uh that's that's vietnam let's talk about thailand a little bit uh i went to thailand um you know never been a huge fan of, of thai culture not that i have anything against it really it's just it never drew me in like it, it does a lot of people um i, I was in bangkok Pattaya, and chiang mai um, Pattaya, probably not super relevant. It's not as touristy as a lot of places. It's more expat-y, so to speak. Um, Pattaya is famous for girly bars and nightlife and stuff like that. And it's just kind of full on crazy, but the prices are a lot better than Bangkok. It's kind of like Bangkok on the beach. Um, so if you dig Bangkok, but you want a little bit more of a laid back feel and you want to save a bunch of money, Pattaya could work out. Um, there are, there are a small handful of DCers that live in Pattaya, um, so that could be a legitimate option. Um, Bangkok for me, you know, although it is the quote unquote sort of digital nomad capital, um, it's, it's, it's expensive and it's suppressive. Um, you know, you can live in Bangkok for cheap. You could, uh, theoretically live in Bangkok for under 700 bucks a month, but, uh, I don't meet a lot of people who do that. Most people are rocking much bigger. Um, you know, one of the things, especially when it comes to accommodation, is Bangkok really shines when you get into like the luxury condo kind of marketplace and you're talking thousand, fifteen hundred bucks a month kind of. I mean, you can really ball out in Bangkok. Um, whereas if you're trying to get like a three, four hundred dollar apartment, apparently that's really tough nowadays. Um, it's not like the winner, which is uh, we're going to talk about the top spot in Thailand would be Chiang Mai by a long shot. So in Chiang Mai, you can rock up and get a $300 a month condo that's nice with Wi-Fi relatively easily. There's a whole infrastructure for that kind of stuff. So um, the cost of living in Chiang Mai, I would say in terms of bang for your buck, it's probably the best in Southeast Asia right now in terms of a high level of services for a low cost. You're talking you can easily do 1000 to 1500 bucks a month in uh, Chiang Mai. So what are the major pros of living in a place like Chiang Mai? You got relatively fast internet. You've got a huge group of, I would say, internet marketers and bloggers living in town. So if that's your scene, that's your crowd, you're gonna find those people everywhere. You're gonna have great and healthy food everywhere. It's Thailand, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. You're talking, sit down, drop $2 on the table and you're eating like a king. Um, you know, I also think a pro of, of uh, Chiang Mai is the cafe culture. You got a lot of great places to go out and chill out and work on t on the town. It's not as good as Ho Chi Minh City, but it's it's pretty damn good. Um, you can't go wrong with Chiang Mai. So um, you know the verifiable lifestyle design capital of the world. What are the cons? Well, 
There's not many, but I'll, I'll, I'll venture a few. Number one is Chiang Mai to me is a little underwhelming. It's a little bit boring. It's like, it's super sensible. Some My buddy was asking me the other day, you know, how, how's it going there? I was like, well, you know, it, it makes all kinds of sense. There's great cafes. It's really cheap and the food's good and everything and everybody's hanging out and stuff. But it's just a little bit boring. It's kind of like a southern college town without the big university. It's, uh, it's just a little underwhelming, you know? It's a little bit second rate. It's not world class. You know, when I got back here to Bali last week, I, I noticed that Mike Snow was like playing at the bar just down the street from here. You know, Mike Snow is not going to do a show in, in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And there's just something about kind of being a little bit isolated and a little bit off the beaten path there in Chiang Mai. Um, similar to how I felt like when I lived in the south of the Philippines. You're just a little bit off, off the paved road, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and the other downside is, you know, the visa runs are a little bit, you have to do the visa run thing there in Thailand and that can be, you know, an issue, but, um, maybe not as bad as Indonesia. So what's the type of expat? If you're going to live in Chiang Mai, you're going to find an amazing swath of internet marketing, blogging, traveling like mine. So, um, especially the bootstrapper type, you know, the people that are making two grand a month and spending one and trying to sock the other one away and hoping to do bigger things and hoping to maybe go home for more Christmases in the future, but they're trying to get their business off the ground. If that sounds like you, Chiang Mai might be the spot. All right, let's get to the spot that inspired the question. Initially, the Philippines. How do I feel about it? Well, whew, where could you live in the Philippines? Well, there's a bunch of spots, but um, let's stick with the top three cities, Manila, Cebu, and Davao. Um, you know, you got the AdSense Flippers guys and their whole posse down in Davao. You got Chris Ducker and that whole scene in Cebu. Um, you got a bunch of guys in Manila too. So yeah, there's tons of DCers in, in the Philippines. Um, you know, what's going on there? What What is the issue with the Philippines? Why can't, why can't anybody stay? It does seem like there's this issue where, you know, the Philippines on paper looks awesome, right? You've got this incredibly low staffing costs. You've got an entire workforce that speaks English, that has a good educational system. Um, you know, there's all these, you know, opportunities. It's the rising tiger of Southeast Asia and all this stuff. And it's just, everybody seems to move away. And that does seem to be the truth. And when you meet people in the Philippines, and I challenge you to ask them, you know, meet entrepreneurs in the Philippines and say, do you imagine yourself living in the Philippines five years from now? You're going to get very few yeses, very few. And so... What is, what's, what's behind this? What's behind this? Well, to address the, um, let's just, just walk through the thing. So cost of living. Here's the thing. I think bang for your buck, value for your dollar, the Philippines is way more expensive than Thailand or Vietnam. Way more expensive. Uh, when I lived in Ortigas, Manila, which is the secondary neighborhood in, in Manila, I was spending just as much money as I would have in San Diego, California. And, you know, you go out for lunch, it's like seven, $8 lunches at kind of really mediocre chain restaurants. If you're going to live in Manila, uh, 2000 so Cebu would maybe be 20 to 25% cheaper than Manila, and then Davao would even be 20% cheaper than Cebu. So, you know, something to keep in mind. You could definitely rock it in Davao for half of that, 1500 a month. Something to think about. So what are the major pros of the Philippines? Well hiring. If you want to build what the AdSense Flippers call the human machine, um, 
and if you want to have a bunch of data crunchers, um, back any kind of like admin kind of stuff, back office support, it's still got to be the top place to go and hire in mass. You know, James Shramko has 80, 80 people on the ground in Manila, all working virtually. Uh, the AdSense flippers over, I think they've got 30 people. Chris Ducker, 300 people. Um, this is it. This is the opportunity in the Philippines. This is the pro of the Philippines. The other major pros of the Philippines, a couple um, things, adventure travel. I would say out of this list, if you were to say like, hey, you want to spend two weeks of taking a vacation somewhere, Philippines, man, because it's just a party. It's an absolute blast. The people are so friendly and so fun. And, uh, you know, the booze is always flowing everywhere. And it's always that kind of atmosphere, that kind of fun atmosphere. But um, what are the cons? This brings us to the cons of the Philippines. I mean, I think bang for your buck, it just doesn't compare with the neighbors. I think there's a lot of cultural cons there. Um, you know, there's not a lot of good food in the Philippines. Um, just not, I mean, you know, like I was thinking about this, I was hanging out with one of my buddies who lives in the Philippines. We were walking down a street in Pattaya and there's just all these amazing restaurants everywhere. I'm thinking, you know, there are more good restaurants on this block in this secondary city in Thailand than there are in the entire city of Davao, Philippines. Something to think about. I'll tell you this too. Another disclaimer is that this stuff affects everybody differently. For me, it was always a big deal living in the Philippines that there wasn't better restaurants, that there wasn't better culture, that there wasn't more to do, that the architecture wasn't better. Like that stuff always bothered me. Um, it's, some people, it doesn't seem to bother them at all. And so something to think about. Type of expat, uh, finally. In the Philippines, you're going to constantly hear the same type of thing, which is peer group, peer group, peer group. There, there are these little packets of DCers around now, like the guys in Cebu, there's guys in Davao, there's guys in Manila now, and that's a relatively new phenomenon. Um, you're gonna find outside of that, very, very few expats that are not um, sort of working class retired. And um, you're also not gonna find a lot of expats in general. Relative to Bali, Thailand, Vietnam, yes, Vietnam has a lot more tourists than the Philippines. And so something to think about in terms of peer group and the kind of impact that that international influence has on a country. You know, everybody talks about the Philippines as this incredibly international place, but it's not really in terms of um, investment and in terms of people actually feet boots on the ground. I think when it comes to Philippines, I look at it as a business flag. I look at it as a lifestyle flag, like a great place for vacations, parties, events, business, hiring. But... You know, if you were to say, hey, Dan, go back and live in the Philippines for a year, I'd be like, no way, man. I'm going to live right next door in Thailand or Vietnam or Indonesia or Singapore or Hong Kong, and I'm going to fly to the Philippines when it's necessary. All right, so we got two more places to go. Uh, first off, I just want to do a hand wave in the direction of Singapore, Hong Kong, and China. Like these places are Southeast Asian hotspots, financial centers. A lot of people in the community, as they get more successful, are starting to move to places like Singapore and Hong Kong in order to engage further opportunities. Singapore, to me, reminds me of like an American, a giant American college campus. It's like a lot of green space. It's kind of a little bit boring. It's got that boxy concrete architecture. It's extraordinarily expensive to get a place there, although I've heard reports that people can live there on $3,000 a month. 
Um, so if you know if you got three grand to drop, um, you could potentially live in Singapore. It's all going to depend on what kind of place you get to live in. So something to think about. Um, Hong Kong, you're looking at the same level of expenses at least, um, especially in, in regards to your rent. Um, but again, you're going to find a lot of uh, different kinds of opportunities there, in particular when it comes to like banking, capital, potentially startups. Um, a lot of people are talking startups in Singapore, although I'm not seeing much yet. A lot of talk. I'm not seeing much. So definitely worth a visit. Definitely worth setting up the old bank accounts. And then when you're thinking about purely business types of locations, you know, you got to mention Shenzhen as well, which uh, is for those guys in the community that are just business focused. They're talking Shenzhen and they're going moving up in the world fast. So, of course, China, uh, the land of opportunity. But, man, I just cannot. It's not worth it to me to live in China. <laughs> so, um, you know, I won't go over those in detail. Uh, let me let me end on where I'm currently at in Bali. So, uh, you know, I'm going to separate Bali from the rest of Indonesia. Indonesia, 250 million people live here. It's the 15th largest country in the world by a landmass. So we're talking about a big place. Bali, smaller place, 4 million people, I believe. Um, we are, you know, you can drive around Bali in two or three days. And it's Hindu. It's not uh, Muslim like most of the rest of the country, although there's a broad range of religions and, and stuff here in Indonesia. So let's talk about Bali in particular. Cost of living, I would say a solid $2,000 a month. Um, major pros of living in Bali are, uh, I think Bali's the most world-class and international location out of all of uh, the things that we've gone over. Um, that is also not a city. So that's really the magic of Bali. Like, what do you compare it to? It's kind of like a San Diego. It's kind of like a Phuket in Thailand. It's this, it's kind of like, it's got a city range of offerings in a town-like environment. And so you can both, um, every night of the week, Max, you go to a different restaurant in Bali, but uh, you could still go for a walk in a isolated rice field. So you've got that awesome mix of like you can get away from it all really quickly, really quickly. You can go walk on, you know, you, at 8 p.m. you could walk down to the beach from my villa and you would be the only person walking on the beach. Um, but then you could get back on your motorcycle and you could go to an a international world-class restaurant that you've never been before. Just to give you an idea, within a five-minute motorcycle ride of my front door here in Bali, there's more good restaurants than probably I've been exposed to in the whole of the Philippines. I know that sounds absurd, but it, it's, I'd almost be willing to argue for it. There's just a level, there's like a sort of a glass ceiling, like a cultural glass ceiling, like whether, whatever it is, it, there just aren't, isn't that level of culture in the Philippines yet. Whereas in terms of like refinement and urbaneness and all this stuff, it's everywhere. Bali's like dripping with that level of class, culture, and refinement. So that's part of the reason that I'm attracted to it. Um, also, the major pros is I find Bali to be, and this is something that other people agree with, it's an inspiring place. And so a lot of people come to Bali to like write books or something or to have, you know, it's famous, the Eat, Pray, Love book where um, the author came here to kind of have a spiritual awakening. Well, when you hang out in Bali for a little bit, it's not such a ridiculous idea. Like it does seem to be a kind of place that you might consider going to have a big life change or to write your book or to hang out for a while and get away from it all. 
Um, but to still be engaged because again, Bali is a busy place. It's happening. You know, don't come to Bali thinking it's going to be some quiet Bob Marley bar. Um, that would be more like the Gillies, uh, Lombok further afield in Indonesia. But here in Bali, man, it's happening. But it's also this very engaging, uh, inspirational place. Major cons of Bali. Um, it's notorious for having bad internet. Um, now I want to be clear you know, it's not bad such that you cannot check your email or get on a few Skype calls, but it's bad enough that running a webinar and stuff like that can be dicey or making like a really high end phone call with an influencer can be dicey. Um, so that would be a con relative to Vietnam and, and Philippines even and Thailand where they've pretty much got that stuff figured out. Um, Philippines, just as a caveat, mostly they've got it figured out in Cebu and Manila, uh, further afield. It's the same deal here in Bali and the type of expat I think is, is, uh, the final thing we're going to talk about with Bali, which is, it's a very different demographic than you're going to see in the rest of Southeast Asia. You're going to see a lot more women, a lot more equality that way. Women, uh, Western women love Bali, um, you know, there's none. There's not as much of the seedy kind of underbelly stuff that happens in in a lot of places in Southeast Asia. Um, you're going to find a lot of people that have made it here in Bali. So, like we say, it's sort of the made it crowd rather than the hustling crowd, or the you know enjoying crowd rather than the building crowd. Um, it's famous for getting made mocked because of like the sort of the white linen, jet set, European kind of types. Maybe a little bit older in Bali. Like it's very good for people. 30s to 40s, families, stuff like that. Um, a little bit less of like the kind of mid-20s thing going on here in Bali. So that would be the uh, the demographic talk. Anyway, uh, Max, thanks for getting me prompt off. Obviously, this is a huge geek out topic for me. And I'm happy, 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 happy to go on more about this stuff. Just let me know specifically how I can help you what I can get for you. If there's any research or perspective or information I can get for you guys, I'm happy to do it. It's one of my favorite topics. All right, it's Friday. This is the weekend, right? So everybody else is going to go out partying and uh, we are going to do what makes us happy, which is, is build these businesses that allow us to live these amazing lifestyles and to explore these incredible places. So I hope you have a great weekend. I'll see you next Friday afternoon, Tropical Talk Radio. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Check it out at tropicalmba.com. Get yourself signed up and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do. Plus, give you those 50 free podcast episodes. If you want to say, hey, check me out on Twitter at tropicalmba. We'll see you soon.